1: G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au.
0: T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.
1: Today on Trailblazers here on SENZ, we have a true legend of basketball in New Zealand. One of the best to have ever played the game, male or female, Megan Compayne. She's the first and only Kiwi to have played in the WNBA, signing with the Utah Jazz in their inaugural season in 1997. She played many, many matches for the 12 Ferns and went to two Olympic Games in Sydney and Athens in 2004. She played in Germany, in Finland, and in Wales. And she is a true sense of the word trailblazer. Okay, well, I I honestly feel blessed, um, Megan Compain to have you on Trailblazers here on ECNZ because as I mentioned um I've seen for years I've seen people post about you like I've seen Andrew Mulligan say she is our best basketballer to come out of New Zealand full stop I heard you speak um earlier this year at the um International Working Group for Women in Sport and you were amazing so to have you on our podcast I feel like we're truly honored to be able to um to have a piece of your mind and share a little bit of your world as well. Um, how are you, first and foremost? How are you doing?
0: Oh, I'm good, thank you, Kirstie And it's a pretty special introduction coming from someone like yourself, and and as a trailblazer in your in your own right, and someone that I've been watching really closely, and and um, so proud of the success that you've had. So to have your introduction that way um, makes me feel very privileged. So thank you. Um, I'm doing okay because I'm in Wellington. Yes, I, we, we do have some. Um, a bit of Wellington guilt down here uh, for all of our friends and far in uh, in Auckland and, Nor- and Northland doing it tough. Well, no, Northland not not so much anymore. But um, but yeah, our thoughts and and everything going out to our friends and far up in the up in the northern regions.
1: Let's let's go back to the beginning. Like, um, let's go back to what it was like for you, know, you from a, a young.
0: There's that, a long way back.
1: Eh? <laughs> it's not that long ago. <laughs> come on, um, but you know when they say like, I always hear I've got a lot of friends that are basketballers um, that have come through the age group systems, and they always say like, baller's life. Was that what it was like for for you from a young age, or were there other things? No, no, it wasn't.
0: Um, so yeah, no, I was a, I was a I guess a typical young little girl um, growing up in, in Whanganui, uh, but I didn't touch a basketball until I was 13, till I was in high school, and the, the only reason I really did, well, there's a few reasons, but um, as it typically is in, in those days, you're really influenced by the people who are right directly in front of you, mm-hmm. and I just happened to be in third form, form and in a, my form teacher was the basketball coach, and he told me to come along and trial for the basketball team. So I did. <laughs> so, so that's that's how it, it really started. Um, my, my love of basketball was a third former um, year nine for all you young people <laughs> as in high school. And before that, um, I still remember the day mum came into my room on my fifth birthday and said, did you want to do gymnastics? And I thought that would be amazing because I loved Nadia Komenich. Uh I'd I'd watched the olympics and been just fascinated with gymnastics and so i started doing gymnastics at a young age and did it quite competitively <laughs> which is hard to to believe now what was your uh, event what
1: was your specialty
0: it, well if you see me um walk down the street now you'd 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 just be in you would know, be baffled um, but the beam <laughs> wow so for some reason i had really really good balance um my worst was the bar because my legs were ridiculously too long for my body. Um, so I actually broke toes um, on the bar when I was when I was coming through. but that was my sport. I, I by the time I was doing it quite competitively, we were training six days a week and um, made it to nationals and won a um, a bronze medal I think was the best we ever did in a in a team a team event competition at nationals. and but then I realized by the time I was getting to 12 and 13 that there was no future in it. For me because I was never going to get really any better. And I was already about five foot nine, almost five tenths. So I didn't meet many gymnasts that were getting, you know, going further. Um, and the ones that you look up to in the Olympics and the, the Russians and the Americans were much over five foot. So um, that encouraged me to, to turn to basketball. But like every Kiwi girl growing up, I also played netball. Yeah, and did that from primary school through to high school, and uh, you know had that typical experience, and it still happens now of being um, forced to choose. And I chose basketball. I think the first time I dribbled a ball, I realised that netball wasn't for me because I was just getting stuck in the goalkeeper position and wasn't allowed to shoot. And then you know get on a basketball court and you can do whatever you like. So um, I quite enjoyed that. And, um, and that was, uh,
1: then I said goodbye to netball. And if we go back to your background, like, so obviously you've mentioned Whanganui, uh, you grew up in Whanganui, and obviously sport was a big part of your life. Uh, who was part of your circle? Um, you know, who did you grow up with?
0: Yeah, so um, my, my mum's family is uh, Pākehā from all over, so army brats, and they moved around. My dad's side of the family, uh, he was born in, and raised in Fiji, and they came over to New Zealand when he was about 15. And the whole family uh, lives in in Auckland with the exception of, of us. And um, I think mum put the hard word on dad early on. <laughs> Um, to say, <laughs> if this is going to work, you, uh, you you need to get out of Auckland. Um, they call them the Compain Mafia up there. Oh, my God, um, that's so, so good. <laughs> so while, while we didn't grow up next door to to the Compain, my dad's side of the family um, still got some very close cousins and, and all the uncles and aunties are very close as well and, and also centred around... Our, our nana, um, who was just the, the matriarch in, in that typical kind of Pacifica style, um, she was everything to everyone. So that brought us together. Um, so yeah, we were we we were quite isolated from a larger family group down in Wanganui. But uh, I had um, great mentors as it related to basketball early on. As I said, my, my form teacher Dal Penny and his wife Sue Penny still involved in basketball up in in Rotorua.
1: No way. Um, there, I went to university with their daughter Alan.
0: Yeah, Ellen was a baby baby when we were growing up. Oh, my God. Her parents are the
1: best.
0: Oh, she's amazing. And she came and um, spoke to me at the Masters game in 2017. She kind of bowled up and was just like, I know you. Okay. And she goes, I'm Ellen Penny. And I was like, oh, my goodness. She was literally a six-month-old little bubba. Oh,
1: my God. Uh, So, And they're a very renowned basketball family in Rotorua as well, aren't they, with all the girls?
0: They are, and I, and I credit you know so much to to, to Daryl and, and Sue, um, for actually getting me on the court and and you know the the, the passion that they had for the sport and for for what, you know for young girls playing basketball was pretty, you know, unprecedented back then as well, especially in a small town. So that um, you know we, we had a really tight little basketball circle of friends uh, in in Wanganui.
1: So what were your first experiences like when you took the court when you were about 13, I think you said first year at high school in year nine? Um, what are you, your first memories of playing basketball? Was it just fun for you, fun with your friends?
0: It was um, It was initially, I, I, but I had aspirations immediately because I, I ended up being quite good at it. I didn't realise it at the time. I probably you know, didn't realise until well past retirement that I was pretty good at the game. <laughs> you know female imposter and and lack low self-confidence while you're while you're actually in it and being young but um but it was just so much fun and I remember being selected for the A team uh, so played with some seventh formers at the time who were amazing basketballers and and I was the little third former and I was getting some court time and they were it was it was I guess at that that te- real team sport that that takes people under their wings, you can grow and develop in so many different areas. You're not pigeonholed into one, you know, specific space. I was I was quite tall for my age in in New Zealand in that environment, but. You know, I was encouraged to, you know, take the ball and shoot it shoot from the outside. Um, if I get the ball on the wing, you know, driving up the court. So I wasn't just stuck inside. Um, majority, you know, I, I definitely learned some good um, post moves back to the basket skills I did in New Zealand. So there's no way I was playing post in the States or, or, or further on. But it was, um, it was just a really great environment. We went to nationals. I remember seeing her name was Tracy. Oh, her married name is King. Her can't remember now she was Otago Logan Park and she was uh, a seventh former and it was the first woman that I saw dribble behind her back and I still remember <laughs> vividly sitting there watching it and just being so in awe because the only basketball we were really exposed to watching other than ourselves and our peers was the was the NBA
1: yeah and and how were you following at the time what teams were you watching
0: um, well, now you're, you're going to really be showing my age.
1: <laughs> I'm not meaning <laughs> I still,
0: to. <laughs> I still go home and mum, mum's, mum and dad have still got the posters up on the wall of Dominique Wilkins and Isaiah Thomas and wow. Magic Johnson. So it was that kind of at the end of that era. Um, my favourite player was Isaiah Thomas because he wore number 11 uh, and he was a little point guard and a little bit nuggety and, and fiery. Uh, but Magic Johnson yeah. Um, they were kind of at the end of their era, and then we were smack bang in the middle of the Michael Jordan era. So, you know, watching him, um, you know, come through and become that that global mega superstar um, behind what he did on the court was was certainly you know that that whole era of the late '90s, early 2000s, late 2000s that I that I grew up in where basketball. To your point earlier, basketball was life.
1: Yeah, and as you say, Michael Jordan was just like the biggest of. Big thing. So hearing you say these names, Isaiah Thomas, Magic Johnson, um, it's amazing. But um, we're going to go more in depth about you. We're going to talk about um, heading off to the United States and what that was like right after this.
0: Played with um, was Steph Gately, or played for was Stephanie Gately. She's still coaching at Fordham, and she still recruits Kiwis. <laughs> so I like to think that I had a little part to play in that. And she, she just, um, she knew knew how to get the best out of the talent that she had. We were never the most talented team, uh, but we used to compete uh, above above that station just because we had incredible discipline and and um, and and really really well drilled. Some real success in my, you know, my senior year, particularly. We're a really special group of, of women that I played with throughout, and, and young ones that had come through. Where we won our championship title, and then went on to the um, the big dance, the um, and made it to the second round of the of the NCAA tournament. And off the back of that, of course, got seen to um, to, to got seen to be to be sort of half recruited into the WNBA
1: amazing we're gonna go into it a lot more I know you don't like to talk about all your accolades so I'm just gonna um, go over them um four years at college and you finished on uh 1,497 points, 443 rebounds um, from the free throw line, 82.4% accuracy. Um, In 1997, you're a Big Five Player of the Year and named in the Big Five Hall of Fame. That's just to name a few of the things uh, you achieved at college as well. Um, Right after this, though, we are going to go into that WNBA experience and when you got the news, when you got the call and what that was like.
0: About, um, getting on the plane and, and heading over there.
1: How did that all come about? Who set that up for you? Or? I,
0: was, I was playing in a in a seventh Adventist tournament in Wellington, and it was a year before, so I was I was just turned fifteen, and it was a um, a, a church tournament, and a lot of fun. Uh, and there was a family in Wellington called the Thompson family who were entrenched in basketball, and they uh, the the one of the daughters. Was had seen me play, and her brother was in the states, and he had been kind of funneling um, yeah, um, girls over there. Uh, yeah. So I was the third in that in that era to go through this high school, and it was sort of set up mostly as an exchange student because you can't technically recruit for basketball, but it was it was very much um, to get basketball talent to go over to have an American experience, and the the outcome of it if we if we played well, we may have a to go on to college, so it was the, before the time when colleges were looking uh, outside of the um, the Americas at you know, a potential scholarship recipients for for that college space, so um, that yeah, so Veronica Thompson um, saw me playing and she um, got in touch with m- mum and dad and uh, said, yeah, you know, would she would Megan be interested? And I got wind of it and said, absolutely. Mum and Dad were sitting there going, really? Uh, <laughs> she's 15. <laughs> I don't know about this. And they um, backed me and supported, I think, you know, Mum says it now, people criticised her uh, a lot uh, growing, when, you know, when I was gone, particularly when I was so young, um, I, uh, you know, almost criticising her mothering. Um, wow. Um, because how could you let your daughter go? And Mum's Mom, response was, well, if I didn't, then I would have lost her um, lost her here. yeah uh, and yeah you know, coming from a small town there's small town things you get up to and I couldn't tell where my path would have ta- yeah you know, would have gone if I hadn't have gone to the states when my mum and dad hadn't supported me going over to the states so you know best case scenario I would have finished high school gone to Otago studied PE and been a PE teacher that's yeah. best case scenario worst but case this scenario, was life-changing really- for you is everything in between? Yeah, um, and and of course it wasn't easy for for mum and dad to to um, let me go, um, but they you know they trusted trusted in the and I guess you know my my opportunity and um, and you know, let me go. Um, home was also quite tough. So my dad had a really bad accident when I was five, and he's suffered from head injury ever since. So as much as love him dearly. And he's still with us just, (laughs) um, it was a hard, it was hard to grow up in in the house. And so it was a bit of an escape and I know that's really hard for my mum to hear, but but she knew it. She also absolutely knew it. Um, it was, it was an escape, um, to, to be able to, to go overseas and, um, a basketball an opportunity and, and see where it would take us and it was only supposed to be for a year. Um, so one year turned into, to 10 basically being <laughs> being in the states um, through high school and, and college and, and a little bit of work experience afterwards but it was it was that or you know some other alternatives that may not have been um, you know uh, great for, for any of us.
1: Give us the realities of what it was actually like over in the states, because like we um we obviously see a lot of documentaries and stories on, on um the scholarships these days, and like it's brutal the way that they train. Was it all fun and games? Did you enjoy all of it? Were there hard times?
0: Yeah, it was a very different experience high school to to college, mm. and um, being completely brutally honest you know, the high school experience was, was awful. And I think it was a little bit to do with being, um, you know, being really sheltered in New Zealand and even to, even things like we go to school in school uniforms. So that you take all of that, that um, issue of um, wealth or, yeah. or status and things like that out of the school environment by wearing a uniform. You go over there and it is just like the movies. You you are judged on absolutely everything. Um, so if you're a cheerleader, you're in the cheerleading squad, um, and you dress a certain way and you do certain things and football and debate club and the nerds and the skaters and the, the, the potheads and ev- everyone's a clique. Yeah. And um and it was really hard to fit because I think, you know, we, we grew up you know, I think New Zealanders are a lot more open. We're a bit more of a we're, we're kind of chameleons. So, whilst I had my basketball friends in New Zealand that were very focused on sport and academics, I also had friends that weren't, and we got up to a bit of mischief and we, we had some fun. Yeah. But you could very easily cross in between the two worlds. In the States, it was it felt more um more pocketed and then overlay the race issue, and that was quite confronting because again, this is this is early 90s, yeah, and um, Rodney King. Um, the it, it, situation had just blown out in, in LA as I got there, uh, but it's it was it's undercurrent and, and bubbling right under the surface. Race issues and race relations in that part of New Jersey where I was at was just like being probably 20, 30 years ago. Um, it was it was very very divided, and then of course they like to put people in boxes. So where do we fit? Yeah. When, <laughs> you come from New Zealand where we're considered a person of colour, or, or at worst half caste. And you get over there, and you're like, well, you're not black, you're not white. You're, are you Hispanic or Italian um because of the skin colour? No, you're not that either. Well, I don't know how to deal with you, so so I won't. So uh, basketball was the one area, though, where I, I, you know, at least that that first year I had that connection um, and the the team wrapped around me. But outside of that, high school was pretty horrific experience over there.
1: It sounds absolutely awful. And thanks for um, sharing that, because... It is true that if you're able to share these experiences, you know, hopefully it will help uh, other people that are listening to it that may have gone through the same thing. Um, If we talk about some of the positive things, let's talk about um, you're on scholarship at St. Joseph's uh, University in Philadelphia playing, of course, for the Hawks. You spent four years there and they still say you're one of the top uh, female basketball players to ever come out of that college. What was that experience like? Um, What were the highlights for you?
0: Yeah. So, the, and that, and that's why I say you, you're absolutely right. There was the the, the, the tough the tough times certainly led into some really amazing moments mm. and, and and an and an incredible experience. And the college experience. And, and I talk to a lot of young um, young girls, young women now who are heading off or or want to go. And a lot of it comes down to intuition and luck. Um, you're going to have a great experience with – you're going to meet people and you're going to make great friends. That's a given wherever you go. But the basketball experience can really change the overall experience that you have because, to your point, it, it consumes so much of your um, your life. Mm-hmm. It's it, it really is um, – yeah, a, a full schedule from, from 6 in the morning until usually about 9 or 10 at night between study and and, and basketball or and sport and training. Uh, but the experience I had at St. Joe's, I, I, I really wanted to go, I was quite specific about what I wanted in a school. I didn't want to go to a big school in the middle of nowhere where you're just a number. I, yes. I wanted to go to a little school where um, you could make connections and form connections outside of your little basketball clique as well. Uh, but in a big city so that I could experience everything that you know a big city America has to offer. And so St. Joe's was about you know that perfect balance, and then adding the um, the basketball on top. So very much a uh, top thirty school at the time. Yeah, um, we I think we cracked the top top twenty five once or twice, but we always hovered around around that space. And and that's out of three hundred Division one schools for context. And. I could have probably gone to a higher-ranked school, but I definitely wouldn't have gotten the same level of development and playing time and and, and personal success if I had of. And that's that balancing act for, for young people, thinking about where they want to go is finding that right level that you can actually be um, a, a, an integral part of the team and develop and, and play versus being on a great team that might oh, yeah. win championships and never get off the bench. It's that, it's that real balance. So um, we had a really we had a great four years. Teammates were amazing. Um, coaches were, yeah you know, some of the best coaches I've, I've, I've ever played with um, was Steph Gately or played for was Stephanie Gately. She's still coaching at Fordham and she still recruits Kiwis. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to think that I had a little part to play in that. And she she just um, she knew knew how to get the best out of the talent that she had. We were never the most talented team, uh, but we used to compete uh, above above that station just because we had incredible discipline and and um, and and really really well drilled. Some real success in my you know my senior year, particularly. We're a really special group of of women that I played with throughout, and, and young ones that had come through when we won our championship title and then went on to the um the big dance the um and made it to the second round of the of the NCAA tournament and off the back of that of course got seen to um to, to got seen to be to be sort of half recruited into the WNBA.
1: Amazing we're gonna go into it a lot more I know you don't like to talk about all your accolades so I'm just gonna um go <laughs> over them um four years at college and you finished on. Uh, 1,497 points, 443 rebounds um, from the free throw line, 82.4% accuracy. Um, In 1997, you're a Big Five Player of the Year and named in the Big Five Hall of Fame. That's just to name a few of the things uh, you achieved at college as well. Um, Right after this, though, we are going to go into that WNBA experience and when you got the news, when you got the call and what that was like. You're listening to SCNZ Trailblazers with Megan Compain, who's the first and only ever Kiwi to have played in the WNBA. And we'll talk about that moment now. Um, I mean, the date, the 24th of April, 1996, when they announced that there was actually going to be a professional women's basketball league. Do you remember that moment?
0: Yeah, we all remember that moment because there was a lot of rumours that it was, was about to happen. The year before, they had started another league called the ABL, which was uh, a professional league, so standing aside, didn't have the same level of marketing support or or, or brand um, visibility, And it, but it was still a professional option, and I was sort of sniffing around to see whether there was a, an opportunity at some of the, um, the, the teams in the East Coast region, but no one was really um, was really biting, and it, and it, it as it turns out, it's because it folded because the WNBA actually stepped forward to um, um, to to announce the league, and it was pretty spectacular. And everyone, you know, you talk about it, timing's everything. And yeah. as much as I would absolutely love to play in in this day and age, back then, uh, I you know realise how lucky we were to be at the cusp um, of that beginning of professional basketball in this in the states and then be even lucky enough to to be a part of it a, you know, a tiny tiny little minuscule dot part of it
1: no but, a big um, part, of, a part it. of it nonetheless <laughs> A big part of it. Um, I mean, you were the youngest ever person in the inaugural season and we talk about you being the only Kiwi. So you're massive for us here in New Zealand. How did, how did, you, um, how did it all come about? Just like with the scholarship, how did you actually make it into the WNBA? What's that process like?
0: Yeah. So once after they announced the league and and confirmed the teams, the there was eight teams in their inaugural competition, and they set out the criteria for how they were going to to build their rosters for, for the for the first season, and they had a draft for so 12, 12 women on the roster, um, and then two reserves that that would not travel, uh, as part of the wider team. So they uh they they recruit. Sorry, they drafted uh, ten out of the twelve spots for each team, and that brought in players like Lisa Leslie and Cheryl Swoops and Dawn Staley, who just had this amazing announcement that she's making $22 million in her, <laughs> for her contract sign as a coach at South Carolina, which is amazing. amazing. She's, she's incredible. And, uh, yeah, so the, the, the real Michael Jordan, the women's basketball of that time, they were taking up the the, the top spots and the first ten spots of each of those eight teams. That was eighty players. It also included all the international superstars. So there was a, a scattering of the best Russians and the best French and the best Germans and the best Australians, of course, because I've had a great uh, a great run or, and um, and the success in the league. And as a as a way to connect and I think grow the attention and the visibility and and also to make the league accessible they ran open trials for for that first season for all eight teams and that was basically every eligible um, international player or college senior who'd who'd just graduated to come along and be part of a trial and it's a two-day session and basically at the end of it they select their last two roster spots and then the two reserves out of that so four players so it we, we I sat there with my coach and we we made a bit of a plan of attack. So we thought we would we'd be easy enough to hit the, the East Coast yeah. um, trials. There was one in um, in Charlotte, so that was my first trial, and then I was going to go to New York for that trial. and And the reason being because you know we were poor students and couldn't really <laughs> afford to, to to go much further. Than, well, that's in, reality, there. isn't it? It is reality. And then I got um, my coach got. Uh, contacted by the assistant coach of the Utah team. And Utah never would have been on the list of, <laughs> of teams to target a, you know, because I wouldn't fly all the way out there, to yeah. just be a number. Um, but also out of all the teams and <laughs> all the locations, Utah was probably the least appealing. In saying that, I had a great four months So and met some wonderful people. So it's not all bad in Utah. Um, but the... they they suggested and encouraged that I come out there. So at least that was an an opportunity to say, I know I'm going to be seen in this massive women um, running around and talented um, basketball players. Someone's going to be looking for me. still have to perform and and, and, um, and do my bit, but at least someone's looking for me. So my coach ended up paying um, for me to go out there, and she flew out there with me. And she was about eight months pregnant, heavily pregnant, but she, kept, she escorted me out there and, and you know, put me up in a hotel and, and oh. flew, me, flew me in and paid for everything. And uh, I trialed and it was two days. And at the end of the two days, they say, thank you very much and, and you're on your way. Um, the timing of it was really poor because I hadn't planned on doing Utah until, until that call. Mm. And my parents had just flown and my brothers had just flown over to the States. For the first time in the six years that I'd been there to come to my graduation, and I was flying straight back from Utah to go up to New York um, for for the New York trial, and they were going to come to the um, to the first day of trials to watch me. The second day of trials was graduation, and so here's me going. Well, if I go well and I get through to the second day of trials, because they do do culls. Um, then I'm missing graduation and that's what my parents and my brothers had flown all the way over here to, to, to see and be with me for. Otherwise they're just going to be sitting in the stands watching, you know, a bunch of people running around on the court. So I got over to New York and, and one of my coach's very good friends was the general manager. And so the first day I had a really good trial and I got short, I got shortlisted (laughs) to, to the last 20 for the following day. And, I, I just I suggested that we could have a chat and just said, look, in reality, have I got a shot or not? Yeah. If I've got a shot, I'll stay. If it's an absolute no-go, you're a complete outside chance, then I won't stay and I'll go back and give someone else my spot. And they said um, the latter <laughs> in a very nice, encouraging way. So we left and I didn't go to the second day trials and went back to Philadelphia and graduated. So it was all a bit of a whirlwind, um, and then, but had sort of put Utah out of my mind because it was, you know, a long shot as well. And yeah. on graduation night, we went. I remember we went out to dinner with um, one of the seniors that graduated with me, Nikki Jones, and we went back to my boyfriend at the time's grandmother's house, <laughs> and and I don't even know how on earth Utah stars found my boyfriend's grandmother's house to ring the landline, but that happened. And um, the landline rang. <laughs> and,
1: because as um, you say, cell phones were barely a thing. Like the internet was just coming of age.
0: I think my boyfriend had one of those old school car phones, you know, <laughs> the, the really big brick ones. It was crazy. And so anyway, they found me there at, at grandma's house. And I was, everyone was in the um, dining room and having food and, and having a great, a great time. And I got pulled into the kitchen to have this call and, Got told that I had made uh, the team, and not even just the reserves, the the actual one of the final two roster spots. And I just, yeah, I I remember actually quite being quite shaky, and just, yeah, really sinking in that um, that I'd done it, and and that the 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 dream of it had become a reality. And it was, you know, it's just so it's so surreal. I mean, the WNBA is. And in it's inaugural season. It it just it didn't make any sense at the time, but it happened. And then I came off the phone and, and told everyone, and literally had to then we was planning to spend two weeks in Philadelphia with the families, and um, had to get on a plane in two days and go back out to Utah. So I dragged my poor poor family back over to Utah with me, where they stayed for a couple of weeks um, while I while I settled into to preseason camp.
1: Wow, but they saw you graduate, which was a plus, and then they saw you make the WNBA. What was that first season like? I mean, what what do you remember from it? You remember getting your kit? You remember playing? Yeah. What are the moments?
0: Yeah, it was it was all that because it was just such a you know we felt pretty special and spoiled in college because yeah. you you've got a place to live and you get your uniform and kit and you play in this amazing gym with amazing gym facilities and and all that, but then transfer it into a professional environment and we're staying at these really nice apartment complexes with outdoor pools and gyms and things and and I've given I've been given a car um I've never had a car in the states before (laughs) you go to get your kit and it's just I think it was the branding it was it was just so surreal that everything that I was wearing for training that day had a WNBA logo on it including socks and headbands or I didn't wear headbands Uh,
1: wristbands (laughs) (laughs) wristbands yeah
0: this was yeah just this I mean you know you always see the all blacks and the black ferns at at kit day and and outfitting and the newbies coming in and just being kind of overawed and it wasn't the the volume of the kit it was was just the significance of it that this was a you know a WNBA jersey with my number on it and then oh my god it's got my name on it (laughs) yeah um and uh, my, the, the biggest concession I had to make is I couldn't wear number 11 because that was taken up by the first-round draft pick for the Utah Stars, Lady Harmon. So and you I weren't going to fight her for it. it? I wasn't going to battle her for it. <laughs> but
1: that, <laughs> that was, was, your was your number.
0: number. <laughs> that, 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 well, my number was 22, so I just doubled it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, But it was also just that that connection, really strong connection, uh, early early days, early years in the league with the men's team. And the, the teams that, that took on the, 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 the women's uh, team properties really got wrapped around and supported the team to make sure it was a success. So um, I think I've talked about it before. I mean, it was, it was absolutely surreal. Utah was actually in the finals against the Bulls mm. the year that, um, that we, we uh, played and assembled as the Utah Stars. So when we got out there, they were playing um, games Five, I think it was, and it was the Jordan sickness game. It's all seen in the last dance now. And we were there and we got acknowledged at halftime. So we all got um, walked onto the court and acknowledged in front of a sellout finals, NBA finals crowd with the Bulls and the um, Jazz sitting on the benches um, to clap in, you know, the inaugural Utah Stars women's team. And then at the end of the game, we came off and we walked around the back of house because our cars were parked in the normal player car park (laughs) and um literally ran into michael jordan getting carried to the press conference really really sick and it was the first i've had a couple of jordan moments like that um where you're close enough to acknowledge each other moments (laughs) and um it was it's just like your heart jumps into your throat um and then you do the kiwi thing and just divert eyes and walk
1: past <laughs> just act real cool
0: I'm totally cool I not yeah. no big deal ever.
1: oh my god honestly I'm like getting shaky just listening to your stories and um hearing you recount all these memories uh this is this is amazing like dreams come true right
0: it has and and it was it was pretty special it was hard uh, and I think it was that reality of um yeah I've had a lot of adversity and challenge and yeah. in, in life but I've been successful, Um, I would say even though I made the WNBA and now I can as an older person (laughs) and only now see that as a success and and we mentioned it at at the women and girls, um, women women in sport conference, Mm. um, the captain's lunch, I I didn't for so long because I actually viewed it as a failure because I didn't play a lot of minutes and and, um, I didn't get picked up for a second season, so all the things of why it wasn't a success was what I I remembered and and what I held on to and why I didn't celebrate it, um, and now I, I, I want to celebrate it and I mm. love the fact that I can talk about it. So thank you because of the, the memories and the things that I haven't been able to think of with fondness for for so long because you're asking the right questions. Because I always told myself the things that were wrong with it, oh. and and it's 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 um and I just hope that you know you for, for athletes that are coming through that you know the you're, you're going to get knocked back you're going to you're going to fail you're not going to make teams or you or, or you're not going to play well but you're there um if you're there having those uh, having to have uh, those battles yeah then you've already succeeded
1: it actually makes me a bit sad hearing you say that like there is so much um success that needs to be celebrated when it comes to you when it comes to our other women in sport when it comes to all of our athletes so Thank you. Don't say thank you to us. Thank you for being so real and open and honest about it all. Um, We're going to take a break here because there is still more to talk about. We want to talk about the Olympic experience as well. But amazing to hear your experience in the WNBA signing on for that inaugural season in 1997 with the Utah Stars. Every time we restart this Trailblazers on SCNZ, I can't help but think, you know, love and basketball. We're going into the fourth quarter now with Megan Compain, who has to be one of our greatest ever uh, basketballers. Um, Megan, you went to the Olympic Games, a couple of Olympics, in fact, 2000 and 2004 as well. Um, Let's start off with your very first Olympic experience, becoming Olympian number 775. Is that that's something you'll never ever forget, even though you've said you don't even have your jersey anymore?
0: (laughs) No, I don't have my Athens jersey. I've still got my Sydney jersey. Oh, you do have your Sydney Um, jersey. Well, actually, my brother does, so it's it's in safekeeping. Um, So I guess they'll... When, you, when we think about our first Olympic experience, was actually in 1995. Uh, it was the first time I represented New Zealand. I come yeah. home from the states um, mid, midway through my college time, and I got picked up to play for the New Zealand team. And it was a, um, a world quali- Olympic qualifying series against Australia for mm. Athens. Uh, sorry, Atlanta Olympics, and n- no chance because we never, you know, we, we never really come close to beating Australia back then. And um, the only qualification way to get to major events world championships or olympics was through australia as the second best sometimes first best team in the world yeah um but in 1995 sydney was awarded the 2000 olympics and we were actually together as a team um during that time and it was it was the the sort of makings of that next generation of, um, of team so we were I was 19 Donna Lofhagen was with me she was 17 we, we rookied together debuted together and um, the Farmer sisters and Tan, Tania Brunton now Tupu so it was a real um, solid base of the team that would go through to the um, for the next 10 years together and I remember when we heard that, it took a minute to sink in because then we realised, we, we sort of went backwards and went, okay, um, Sydney 2000, Olympic Games, held in Australia. Australia automatically qualified because they're the home nation. Mm. New Zealand playing in an Olympic qualifying tournament with Guam, Fiji, um, American Samoa, uh, Solomon Islands, so, so whatever else in the Pacific. Yeah, we can. We we're back ourselves to, to win some of those games. So we're going to the Olympics. So that that was our mindset. So in
1: '95, that's when you when you that's had,
0: when we, we we had it. You know, squarely in our sights yeah. um, as a as a goal. And so everyone during that time would have been in different stages of life and in different situations. But we all, we it was it was literally everything from every decision that we made from there was with a goal to to go to the 2000 Olympics. So, for, it was a five year journey um, for for me. I knew the next years were taken care of because I was in college yeah. in the states. It was going to be those in between three years of um, how can I get myself in the best possible position to make the team to go to the Olympics. Uh, to qualify and then go to the Olympic Games in those three years outside of basketball. So that's when that, inter- that sort of professional journey started, made the WNBA. Um, that probably gave me the opportunities to play in Europe. So I played in Germany, played in uh, Finland, and then um, and then came home in 2000 and, and made the team and went to, to Sydney to, to you know, be a part of that that Olympic experience.
1: Was it overwhelming being at the Olympic Games? You know, there's just so much going on. It's it, you you watched it as a kid, but you were watching the gymnastics, and now you're actually there.
0: It it was actually, and you I think a lot of athletes now have a lot more wrapped around them in, in respect of the, the the mental preparation for going to the Olympic Games. Mm. And when I was working at New Zealand rugby, I had a small. A window into how they were preparing the sevens teams, mm. men's and women's, to go to Rio. And and it wasn't the on-field stuff, the training and the gym work. It was, it was mentally preparing them for this is what you're going to see, this is how, how you're going to feel, this is what you're going to experience, this is what you're going to have to let go. Some of that stuff because it is overwhelming. And, um, you know, we, we always joke and laugh that we had an Olympics to get it right for the next one. Not many, not many people have that opportunity, but we were – we, we just had the wrong mindset going into Sydney. We were hundred percent spectators. We didn't really have a, a huge belief in ourselves, um, but we were there and, and that's, that was, that was kind of it. We, we'd, we'd achieved and then it was, oh, now we've got to play some basketball. Um, yeah. And it showed, it showed through maturity and, um, and probably you know coaching ability there was a big step up in our coach our, our coaching ability and preparation from 2000 to 2004 and um, and the in the, the, the maturity and of, of the team and the players but yeah we, we got to Sydney played some games and then had a really good time
1: so if we fast forward to 2004 <laughs> then um, Because of it, you just said you were there as spectators, basically. You know, in two thousand, you were enjoying the experience, you you had fun. But two thousand and four was different, wasn't it? You got you you had the um, you had a goal to make the quarterfinals.
0: We did, and and it was a realistic goal because we'd started playing a lot more. um, Basketball New Zealand had been able to start negotiating some more games and competition outside of um, outside of FIBA and cyclical events and mm. we've played the Asian teams a lot and we and, and by scouting them we knew that we could target the style of basketball that uh, that tends to be played in Asia we could we could combat it um so when the draw came out in 2000 um we we, we had the US, it, it was a much better and more um, concise and realistic plan that you could actually get your head around as an athlete so we went into to Sydney with no plan and we had the US and we had Korea who were Asian champions, and we had, yes, you know, um, I think it was Poland who had a seven foot two um, woman on the team. We had no strategy, no plan overall. We just took it game by game. Yeah. We went into Athens knowing what who our draw was, and actually just picking it apart and saying, "Well, we've got the US first up. We are going to discount that game. Clearly, we're not going to win, but we're going to try and work on this, this, and this." Yeah. And and also to that point around taking in the Olympic experience and not letting that be a, a distraction. The opening ceremony, we were playing the very next day. Uh, in Sydney, we did the same, and we actually didn't go to the opening ceremony. And it it was it was really hard to reconcile that because yeah. we were there for the experience. We didn't get to do it, and then we just get, ended up getting pumped by Poland anyway. Um, coach said very clearly, well, you're going to the opening ceremony. You can experience the whole thing. We get back. We sleep. We get up and we play the US. But what we're doing is actually preparing for the following um, game, which was career, and that was the one that we were, were targeting to beat. And so it, we, there was a much more um, believable and realistic um, performance plan that you could actually get your, your head around, um, which which took into consideration all of the elements of why you're there, the, the experience, but also the the, the performance side of, of being realistic around what we could achieve.
1: Being realistic, um, the goal was quarterfinals, you make it to the quarterfinals, but we can't go past um, one of the now famous moments, that victory against China and the famous buzzer beater shot. For me, it's been so cool to be able to, like over this past week, um, relive your moments just from um, reading about them, has been amazing. Um, Can you talk us through that moment?
0: Yeah, it was a pretty special moment, and back back in my mind, there was a few people here in New Zealand that that I thought about when we <laughs> when we did that because it was such a um, it was it was beating China really yeah. to 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 make our goal of quarterfinals, which everyone which a lot of people back here didn't think was possible. Mm. And I'm not sure whether you remember, I I missed it, I missed I missed the brunt of it because I was still overseas um, in my with my finished contract. But when the when we qualified for for at, Athens and the Olympic Committee was determining whether they were going to send the the women's team, mm. um, even though we qualified. Uh, there was a lot of backlash, and one of the board members on on the NZOC board actually resigned in protest over our inclusion. We had basketball um, basketball, you know, associate people that were within the system that are coaches and and high profile and. Um, influences of, of young people in, in the basketball community that came out in the media and protested and and basically cut us to shreds about being there. Um, Keith Quinn actually wrote a really um, an, a lovely article post our success in, in addressing all of that, you know, criticism. Days before social media, so it's quite limited, but you yeah. can imagine how it would have taken off in the comments section oh. um, with the, the sort of um, just nastiness and vitriol about um this women's team have no right to be there they're bloody useless they're um they're an embarrassment (laughs) to to the country and um and so when we beat china it was all those people i sort of thought about it was it was just it was it was just so rewarding to Mm. say you know don't discount us just because we don't play a sport that's so visible and, reco- and, and and supported here in New Zealand. It's a global game and we're doing we're doing quite well um despite despite all that. And um so yeah that China game was pretty special for a lot of those reasons. So and then to play that part in it of you know the hitting the shot at the buzzer to win doesn't happen often. It's the kind of things you dream about. Yeah. And it it um it certainly still um I can still sort of remember exactly what happened the whole play and how it, how it came together
1: <laughs> well I don't know if we want to move on to the quarterfinal game then or if we if we want to skip past that one you tell me
0: well the quarterfinal game we, and, and we always knew it if we were if we head to the quarterfinals we're going to be we're going to meet Australia because yeah. they would top their pool and then we would just give it our best you know there's nothing to lose and I mean Australia probably the biggest compliment Australia ever really paid the tour fans in New Zealand was, that they 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 couldn't stand playing us because we were an injury risk. <laughs> so they just they just sort of completely discounted us as um, being you know too physical and just just not skillful enough um, to to warrant. And I think I mean we always did well against uh, with them for a for a half, but they're they're incredible and they were all professional fully professional and i think there was maybe two or three of us who were able to scrape by what you would consider professional at the time with everyone else being full-time students full-time workers um teachers, mums, etc. So it was the real David and Goliath when you come up against the US or or Australia. It's just that Australia's so you know, close to home so everyone expects that we're gonna be, be competing against them because they see us doing it in Netball and in rugby. Yeah. Um, um but the I think that it, it from there what my biggest disappointment about Athens was losing the next game. It was the game playoff the seventh and eighth and yeah. it was against Greece in Athens. So the crowd was yeah, it was it was, it was quite special, and we also knew that it was going to be the last game that we played together, representing our country, um, so, so, so many emotions, and it was just one of those games that just, just didn't get, the legs just wouldn't work, you just felt like you were in, running in quicksand, um, there was just nothing mentally that, that I could do to get my body to, um, uh, to perform at the level that you expect it to or to feel the way you, you, you would expect to on the
1: court. Yeah, that was an incredible run though and uh, finishing 8th uh, out of 12 at the Olympic Games is amazing and just for what um, you all did for basketball in New Zealand, like it must be crazy. When you think back to the criticism and the backlash about actually sending the team that had qualified <laughs> to what what goes on now with basketball being like, you know, one of the fastest growing sports in New Zealand. We have so many girls that are on scholarship in America. I mean, Charlise and Crystal, whose mum you were playing with, like, does it, does it make you so proud? Does it shock you? You know, what do you think of the current situation?
0: Uh, I, I think the current situation is, I, as I say, I would I would love to play um, in this in, yeah. in this era. Um, I just think that the athletes are so incredible, the the coaching staff and the and what's wrapped around it, and the opportunities are, are incredible. I I love the fact that we paved the way for that, and and I know that sometimes it's it's tough being a you know you you were in that era where and they talk about it in rugby all the time, the pre-professional era, um, those players often feel the most begrudged because they didn't get the opportunity to do X, Y, Z, but they, you know, they had to really um, battle it out and and struggle and strive. But then again, all of that stuff has given me the opportunity to be where I am now outside of the game. So it's, it's really interesting. You think about, um, yeah, the, the, the having to balance um, what you're passionate about versus the reality of what you're going to need to do when that, when that all finishes is something that confronts most female athletes and most athletes actually outside of the big you know the big money earners a lot earlier, which sets them up for life after sport a lot mm. better in some ways. And um, I had a fascinating conversation with Dane Coles last year when I was leaving um, my role at rugby, and I was just looking at him going, "You were the arguably one of the best props that ever played the game um or sorry yeah is he a prop no he's a hooker a mid, Hooker. he changed See, the game
1: is, is changed hard. the game didn't he think I'm
0: a rugby person I'm, I'm <laughs> so not <laughs> Dane calls the hooker um you know and I'm looking at him going yeah what what are you do, what are you going to do when you retire oh, I'll probably coach high school you know something like that and and it just it just fascinated me to think you know these these um Athletes that uh, have so much while they're an athlete and, and may, you know, struggle to look and see what, what's beyond that, um, and not have the opportunity to develop that because it's all consuming yeah. um, their, their professional life. And I know that's a concern for the black ferns, for example, when they're moving into more of a professional space, that they they keep that balance so that when it is all over, they can be um, sideline sports commentators and they can be journalists, one hundred percent, doctors and lawyers and. and and go back and study and, and all that stuff.
1: I mean, look at all the things that you've achieved um, after basketball. We haven't even touched on it. We haven't talked about the incredible roles um, that you've had with Anne Wan, with Adidas, New Zealand rugby, of course, for such a long time, and what you're doing now. I feel like we're going to have to get you back on because we also (laughs) didn't really go into um, playing professionally in Germany and Finland and Wales as well. There's just so much. Um, But I feel so honoured to have been able to speak to you and hear um, a small part of your story, and you seriously, like i can't say it enough but I do hope you celebrate your successes because you're such an amazing woman um and what you've done on and off the court you're seriously you're a true trailblazer and you're such an inspiration to so many people I know for me you are for sure so Megan Compain thank you so so much for joining us on trailblazers and hopefully we can talk to you again
0: thank you so much it was lovely to talk to you too